So I think whenever you come to speak, it's, uh, there's always a sense of burden um, and that's natural when we're dealing with something like God's word that has such um, large consequences. But for whatever reason, uh, this particular message has just really uh, burdened my heart and God's had it on my heart and mind a lot. And uh, I think largely due to its, um, also its consequences um, but also because it's really struck me personally. And uh, for those of you who are visiting today, for those um, who've missed a few weeks, we have been studying the book of James um, and in the last week or so I've been re-listening to some of those messages that um, various people have brought to us. And it's been a challenging series. James is a, a practical book um, loaded with uh, things that we can apply um, but also a lot of challenges for us. So in recap, um, in particular the things that will play and uh, feed into today's message, we saw in chapter 1 that our desires are a crucial part of our Christian life. Uh, We're led to sin and enticed um, to sin by our desires and so really they're the root problem when it comes to temptation in our lives. Then in chapter 2 we saw that, uh, that in James' audience it was quite apparent that there was a class divide. On one hand you had this rich merchant class, the merchants and traders, uh, and then on the other, other hand you had these poor people, um, possibly slaves and servants uh, to those more wealthy people. And so the wealthy people came with all their fine clothes and their gold rings and the poor people maybe shabby clothes and so on. Uh, but we saw that the rich people were really mistreating the poor. Uh, and also in chapter 2, and a theme that reflects throughout the whole book of James. James says, real faith expresses itself in action, real faith expresses itself in good works. Um, We'll see other elements of that today. Uh, And finally in chapter 3, we saw worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom contrasted, jealousy and selfish ambition on one hand versus um, peacemaking and righteousness on the other. And uh, in general... If you look at James and rich people, rich people don't get a a great rap, um, especially like we just read this morning from chapter 5, the first six verses there. Um, But numerous other times throughout the book it's either implicitly or explicitly um, stated that rich people are causing trouble in this particular community. And uh, I've said there the danger of being an Australian. If you're earning 50,000 Australian dollars a year or more, you're in the top... 1% 1% of the world's wealthiest and so I think for me that um, really when I come to James, when I think about rich people, instead of thinking oh that's not me, um, I'm not a rich person we're, we're all rich people and some of us don't feel like don't feel like it I'm sure um, but if you go elsewhere in the world you realise you are and so uh, today we'll, we'll look at worldliness in particular Uh, and we consider ourselves as rich people. So we start um, in James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. James says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that may that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So we see here, similar to chapter 1, we saw that 
our desires were a key problem. And they led us, they enticed us and drew us away uh, to temptation and to sin and its consequences. Here we see our desires are back again, um, causing conflict among, among us, among God's people, um, but just in general um, among us. And I don't think that's necessarily um, straightforward when you think about conflict in the church. Do you think, oh, it's, it's just our desires at work? Um, but when we think about conflict, say a leadership conflict, that can be re-expressed as desires for power and authority um, and respect in the church. Maybe our internal conflict, jealousy, pride, it comes from our desires to always be right and, and not want to admit we're wrong. Our desires to look at what others have uh, and be jealous of it. We want those things. And so James says that really our desires are such a key area of our Christian life. Uh, you could say, well, maybe we just need to transform our desires. But as I thought about what the, the biblical model towards our desires is, we see in that verse there, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So really, if you want to know what to do with those in, sinful desires that cause you to be tempted, that cause us to conflict among one another, we need to put them to death. Um, there's, there's no easier way, no less painful way um, to deal with them. And I think in the light of this passage, we can see that when we see conflict in the church, when we see conflict among each other, instead of just thinking, oh, it's just the other person, I don't have a part to play in this conflict, we can ask ourselves the question, how are my sinful desires working to feed into this conflict? And so oftentimes if we're really prayerful about it, we'll be able to see some elements that we bring to the table in terms of our desires uh, that, are, that are impacting on that problem. The second part of the passage is where I want to spend most of our time today. Um, we may not get a chance to get stuck into the whole uh, chapter, um, but obviously there's Bible studies to cover what we don't cover. But this passage is where I want to focus today in particular. And in James chapter 4, uh, verses 4 to 6, we read, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God or hostility? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. And as I consider this passage, the consequences of what James is talking here are enormous. Um, worldliness can cost you your fruitfulness. It can cost you your effectiveness as, as a servant of Christ. But more than that, it can cost you your very soul. And uh, so there's... Verse 5 there um, is a bit of a challenge. It's probably the most challenging verse to understand in James in that James appears to be quoting uh, the Old Testament somewhere but we can't find where he's quoting from and it either means that um, the Holy Spirit is a jealous Holy Spirit who desires our affections so he jealously longs um, for us to be pure for him or on the other hand it could mean could be talking about our spirit in us, our sinful human nature um, that envies jealously and causes all this worldliness. But I'll leave that um, with you to, to look at in more depth in the Bible studies. 
I want to focus more on the, the worldliness. I don't know, some of you would have been overseas to um, different cultures and stayed there um, for a period. Uh, you might have experienced culture shock. When you go to a place, things in that culture are unfamiliar to you, and so it comes as quite a shock. Um, Mariana and I both spent time in Uganda back in 2006 and we lived there for several months and I saw many things while I was there that um, gave me culture shock Um, but one thing coming into a culture from the outside does is also it gives you perspective, helps you to see things within that culture that people within the culture might not necessarily see. So in Uganda, uh, lying, stealing and sexual immorality were all quite rampant And in some sense they were embraced by people as normal, human behaviour. Okay, we have it, but it's acceptable. Uh, And even among people calling themselves Christians, these things would be common practice. And similarly, when you come back from another culture, back to Australia, uh, Mariana and I both experience reverse culture shock. That is, when we come back to Australia and we have fresh eyes to look at our culture in, in the light of say the refugee camps we've been at in the light of the people we met over there. Um, And I think that leads on to my next point which is about cultural blind spots. Sometimes uh, similar to lying, stealing and sexual immorality maybe in Uganda, um, there's blind spots in Australia. We have these large areas of weakness that we don't see because everyone's doing it, we're all the same Uh, and so we, if not embrace it, then we accept it as normal and we don't fight against it as we should fight against it. And I think in Australia, uh, when I came back um, off the plane, some of the things that really grabbed me was uh, worldliness in Australia, our consumerism, our selfishness. These are things that I knew about before I left, but when I came back they became really apparent to me. And so we ask ourselves a question, James says here, if you're a friend of the world you become an enemy of God. And we know there'll be no enemies of God in heaven. Uh, What is worldliness? It's all about God not occupying the right place in our lives. Placing more importance in the world's acceptance than God's acceptance. Obtaining our comfort and security from the world instead of from God. Letting ourselves be defined by status and worldly values and building our own image instead of conforming to the image of Christ. Living selfishly instead of living in surrender to God. And just as in James chapter 2 we saw that faith without works is dead. They can't, uh, like a faith without works demonstrates that the faith is dead. So here we see that worldliness can't coexist with godliness. If you're worldly, you're not godly and if you're godly, you're not worldly. Um, so James uses these strong words and it's incredibly challenging to me and uh, I'm sure it will be to others this morning. But I wanted to break this down um, into a bunch of categories. Now this is not an exhaustive list of how worldliness might look but what I've tried to do is say on one hand this is what we're getting bombarded from our media, from magazines, from TVs, uh, all around us, the people, the lifestyles of people around us on the one hand. On the other hand, we've got this biblical um, mandate to be godly, to not be worldly and to be set apart from the world. So what does that look like? And I'll go through the worldly values and the the biblical uh, alternative 
and then I'll look at some possible applications of that. So if you look on one hand, the world says you should really try and get a big nest egg together, you should uh, accumulate wealth, make sure you've got your super in the right place, make sure that you're ready for a comfortable retirement, whether that's getting a caravan and touring around or whatever it is. But then if you look at the biblical model, we see generosity, we see sacrificial giving and it's quite a contrast. Maybe we go to the next value there, entertainment and time wasting. Entertainment's a huge multi-billion dollar industry. It's only getting more glamorous as time goes on. But then the Bible asks us to redeem the time, uh, to see our time as precious, one life, um, just a blink, a vapour, that we can invest before all eternity and and the consequences of our use of time are, are made clear. Then on the one hand we have busyness. The world says... If you can just be a bit busier, just get a bit more done. Um, seven habits of highly successful people. Then God says, I want you to be still and know that I am God. Um, make time for meditation. On one hand we see selfishness. Because you're worth it. Um, then the Bible says, serve others, consider them better than yourself. Most advertising campaigns are rooted in the pursuit of pleasure, luxury indulgence. If we can only make the person think they're missing out, we can get them to buy our product. Imagine how many uh, products they'd sell if they instead turned to the biblical alternative of self-control and holiness. Um, Fearing other people's opinions, the world says make sure you get the right things, buy the right things, say the right things so that people will like you. The Bible says we're accountable to God. He'll be the judge we'll stand before one day. We have cosmetics, fashion and surgery. But the Bible says we should be conformed to Christ's image and not let the world define our image. And then finally, in in consumerism, even little Josiah, he's uh, six months old and he already loves the phones. Um, You can see his desires at work. Um, We're going to try our best to not be consumers ourselves and teach him the same way. And the biblical alternative, of course, is contentedness. I've said there you shouldn't buy an iPhone 5 if they come out this week. Um, But in all seriousness, I want to target these to some applications. You can see the applications on the right-hand side there. Um, I'm not judging anyone as individuals and all of these are equally applicable to me and um, that's for sure. But I want want to... uh, challenge a few social norms um, and ways that we're in danger of um, being worldly in our, in our contemporary society. The first one there, retirement plans. Uh, some of you are making them. Uh, some of you are living them out. Um, all of us probably are involved in some degree of financial planning um, for the future. And the question there is, are you investing eternally? Um, With entertainment and time wasting, I think particularly of uh, young men, but it's not just young men. Um, The internet, television series uh, that people download, electronic gaming, they're worth more than uh, all the Hollywood blockbusters put together. Uh, And there's lots of other hobbies. Are they just wasting time when we're this close to the edge of eternity or are we redeeming the time? And then I want to go down to the pursuit of pleasure Uh, luxury and indulgence as well. Uh, And I want to talk about pornography. Pornography is uh, the pursuit of personal pleasure. Maybe it's other things as well. Uh, 
With pornography, I know for a fact there's guys in this room that are struggling with it and uh, I've dealt with many men over the years that have had this as an issue. It's a reality of our, our modern world that we need to deal with and I'd urge you um, to deal with it. I'd urge you to get support, tell someone about it, um, get prayer, find someone that can keep you accountable and there's, there's plenty of men in, that church, in the church that would love to do that for you uh, and wouldn't judge you for it but would work, you, work through it with you. Uh, and I'd urge you to do that because at very least it'll choke your f- fruitfulness, it'll choke your maturity in Christ and at very worst it'll cost you your soul. And then I want to come down to cosmetics, fashion and surgery. I feel this is an area particularly maybe for the ladies. Um, I feel like women have been sucked into this giant commercial um, advertising campaign rhetoric that says you need to look like a plastic fantastic digitally, digitally altered, painted and polished woman, they're not even real. Um, let alone they're not real, Peter says, let your beauty come from inner beauty. Work on your character. And the outside beauty, he's not saying you can never put makeup on or never put perfume on or whatever it is, but don't let it be your focus. Make sure your inner beauty's the focus and maybe burning a couple of those fashion mags would be a good way to start. Um, I'll leave it up to all of us to look at these implications and uh, see where they might um, be applied in our own lives. I I can't do any application for anyone but myself, uh, which I've been working through. James thankfully doesn't leave us wallowing in this um, overwhelming sense of worldliness and where does that leave me or I'm struggling with this, where does that leave me? He gives us a cure. Um, So some of you are walking with Christ as Christians. Maybe some of you here have never actually um, become entered a relationship with Jesus. You've never given your life to him. Uh, And so James gives us here uh, six steps and we'll just read out what he says in uh, verses 7 to 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So in these six steps that James gives us, uh, we see the cure not just for worldliness um, but for those temptations we battle with that we saw in chapter 1. And James says here it starts with submission to God uh, and simply put, that's obedience to God. Uh, We read his word and we do what it says. If you've been challenged by something this morning already, go home and do it. Um, Resist the devil. Jesus resisted the devil with... um, three verses from the Old Testament uh, when he was tempted in the wilderness tested in the wilderness and we can do the same if we uh, take God's word to heart and use it in our fight against the devil it says here draw near to God Um, God is omnipresent so there's not the sense in which we're physically separate from God obviously but spiritually we can be far from God and it says here that don't wait for God to come to you 
prayerfully pursue God, say, God, I'm repentant. I want to change these things and I want to be in a close relationship with you. Uh, And it says here the promise is that he will draw near to us whenever we draw near to him. The fourth step there, um, cleanse our hands and purify our heart, speaks about both external behaviour change, cleansing our hands and our actions, um, changing the areas of our life that need to change. Uh, And then purifying our heart talks about the deeper transformation. We've already seen how troublesome our desires can be. Um, We need to find out what God's desires are and identify uh, those sinful desires in us and and take them captive, um, as it says in Corinthians. But that external change and internal change. And then finally, step five here. James uses really strong language that in our reasonably non-emotive culture, we don't see people running around uh, lamenting, mourning and weeping very often. Um, to be honest, spiritually, a lot of us would be a lot better off if we did more of it. I know there's been um, several times in my life when I've spent a few hours uh, prayerfully on the floor before God and each one of those moments I can remember with great clarity um, as a defining moment for some reason or other in terms of my spiritual growth. And to be honest, I need to do it a lot more. Um, so James says, the true response of a Christian confronted with their sinfulness before a holy God, yeah, they submit to God, they resist the devil, they draw near to God in prayer and they um, cleanse their life. But it's accompanied by brokenness. And so we read in the passage there uh, that scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. So if you're willing to be broken before him, to lament, mourn and weep, uh, literally, then he will um, show his favour to you and he will be near to you. And then finally it says uh, to be humble. God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. And this morning I wanted to give you uh, an example. Some of you may know um, George Mueller. He was quite influential in... Um, or a foundational member and shaping of the denomination we're a part of here at Monty. Um, And he really was a remarkable man. Uh, In his youth, he was a bit of a rascal. Uh, He lived um, between 1805 and uh, died at the age of 92. But um, at the age of 14, you would have been able to find him uh, drunk in the taverns. Age 16, he even did some jail time. but George Mueller was taken by the Lord at age 20 and um, at his death in, in uh, age 92, um, after preaching a sermon a few days before, he was known as the most famous orphanage builder in the world. He uh, cared for more than 10,000 orphans in his life. When he started the orphan, orphanage work with his wife, uh, those buildings there are all the orphanage, um, when he started that work with his wife he had 50 cents and Uh, God at at age 20 uh, really turned his life around but he says this uh, as being the difference when he fully surrendered his life to to God at 24. And this comes from a letter he wrote. He says, I gave myself fully to the Lord, honours, pleasures, money, my physical powers, my mental powers, all were laid at the feet of Jesus. And I became a great lover of the word of God. 
I found my all in God. A year later, um, after what he describes there as, as his true uh, conversion and full surrender, he'd become a Christian at 20 but wavered for those first four years and had a lot of weakness in his faith. At 25 he was married. Uh, his wife and um, George committed to a life of voluntary poverty. They sold all they had um, to give it away and from that day forward um, they got into this orphanage work but he never um, received a salary, never owned a home uh, and over his, the course of his life um, he gave away more than £81,000, modern equivalent of $11 million into the orphanages himself. Um, that wasn't discovered till after his death. An anonymous, he was a meticulous record keeper. An anonymous entry in his journals was identified to be none other than George himself, giving money from his support back to the orphanages, uh, 11 million pounds equivalent. And so you, you see, in this life, he's he's just a redeemed sinner like all of us. There's no difference in his humanity. Um, but in my mind, he embodies everything that we've been reading in James. Um, as you read his biography, this was written a, a year or two after his death by his son-in-law. Um, he says this about the uh, secret to his service. It says, To one who asked him the secret of his service, later on in his life he said, There was a day when I died, utterly died. And as he spoke he bent lower and lower until he almost touched the floor. Died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame, even of my brothers and sisters in Christ and friends. And since then I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. And uh, I think George Mueller to me is a continuing inspiration of someone who um, didn't pursue worldliness um, he literally cared for the orphans um, but to this day has a, has a great legacy. I met a, a woman who was not a Christian uh, in Malaysia one time um, and she was from Bristol so I asked her, oh, do you know about George Mueller and the work he did there um, through God with the orphanages and to this day he's still revered as a man of God in that community. Uh, when he died the town essentially shut down Tens of thousands of people lined the streets. They left their workshops, they left their businesses. Uh, and my encouragement to all of us this morning, um, I'll leave the rest of the passage, but my encouragement is as we consider worldliness uh, in our lives and I guarantee none of us are um, free of the temptation of it at least uh, in the community we live um, and some of us are headlong, headfirst into it and we need to... Um, be rescued but I think someone like George is a great example um, of what we can potentially uh, look to in terms of what God might do with a Christian life when we're not distracted by worldliness but when, when we pursue him uh, and when we've got our desires in check. So I want to pray for us as we close that God might help us. Dearest Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you once again for James. Lord, there's great theology in his letter here, um, but there's also just great practical application, Father, that we can clearly uh, and readily apply to our lives. 
Father, it's been an incredibly challenging um, message to prepare for uh, as I consider my own life uh, and whether my religion is pure, as you talk about in chapter 1, pure religion uh, before God the Father is to keep oneself unpolluted or unspotted by the world. And Father, I realise the world has often made inroads into my life where it shouldn't. So Father, I repent of the worldliness in me and I just pray that each one of us as we consider um, the values the world washes over us all the time, Father, versus biblical values, what your word tells us. Lord, I pray you'd give us grace to change. I pray we'd draw near to you so that you can draw near to us, Father. I pray we would lament, mourn and weep more often, that we'd be broken more often, Father. Our life is so short, James says, we're just just like a vapour, a gush of steam coming out of a kettle. We just, Our life here is so temporary, so fleeting. And all of eternity, Father, will uh, be determined um, to some part by our actions and our investment of time, money and energy down here, Father. So I just pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would convict each heart this morning about areas we need to change, that each of us might have the courage uh, and strength by your Spirit to change these areas and to, to live the godly lives that you call us to. We pray this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for your glory. Amen.